Amen. We are continuing today our study in the book of Colossians. And if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along, you're going to find us in Colossians, the second chapter. Chapter. Hello, allergies. Is there, do we have a season now where we don't have allergens? It's 24-7. Yeah, not in Texas, right? Yeah, it's just different. So, uh, but if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. I've prepared. I have it on here for you. Today, we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who lived in a small town and close to an elementary school, an adult business was allowed to uh, set up shop. And the pastor uh, stood against that and he went through proper channels. He went through the city council and others. And eventually they found themselves in the courtroom. It had, became, it had become a, a, a court issue. And the pastor was put on the stand and the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney for the, uh, the company was there. And they said, so, you know, tell us your name. Tell us what you do for a living. He says, I'm the pastor of. And he stayed at his church. And she goes, she goes so as a pastor, the name pastor means shepherd. Is that correct? He goes, that's correct. And she says, well... If the name pastor means shepherd, why aren't you out today shepherding people? And he says, because I'm in here today fighting the wolves. And so today, Paul is helping with the Colossians at the, in the church in Colossae to fight the wolves. There are wolves at the door. There are wolves at the door of your heart, at the door of your mind, at the door of your emotions, at the door of your family, at the door of your career or your vocation. We fight wolves every day. Sometimes it can be a single wolf. Sometimes it can be a pack of wolves. But we have to understand that as long as we have an adversary, the devil, there are wolves in our lives And Paul is encouraging the saints as they battle the wolves. And he is going to encourage us today as we battle our wolves as well. Let's begin. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. I want you to know how how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. We remember that the church at Colossae never met Paul in person. But you don't have to know someone in person to make a significant impact in their life. How can someone contend for someone at distance? That's a great question you ask. Well, the first is through prayer. Does prayer change things? Prayer does change things. So you can contend for them through prayer. And first, it keeps them in front of mind. When you're praying for someone on the regular or when you pray for them, It brings them to the front of your mind. It brings them to the front of your attention. And when you pray for something regularly, it keeps it in the front of your mind and in your attention. You know why? Because we're busy people. There's a lot of things in our lives, good things, bad things, and in-between things. But if we're not careful, things can fall out of our attention. And prayer helps to keep those things in our in our mind. Secondly, it can build empathy or sympathy. So someone asked me, what's the difference? Empathy is what you can extend someone when you have experienced the same thing that you are praying for them for. It's like the loss of a family member. 
if you've ever lost a family member and you're praying for someone who has lost a family member, you can extend empathy because you know what it feels like, right? Now, there's bear traps in that, but this message isn't about that. But you can extend empathy. Secondly, there's sympathy. That is a, a, a sense of care or remorse for them. You can be sympathetic and you may not know them. You may not know the people involved in the circumstance, but you can be sympathetic. Why? Because your heart can hurt for someone else. Your heart can celebrate for someone else, right? Your heart can be concerned for someone else. And so when we pray for individuals and we pray for them on the regular, we can uh, have sympathy. And then for those of us who may be able to empathize, we can do that. Also, it can help us to know what to do or what not to do via the Lord's guidance. Have you ever said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing with the best of, with the right intention? Yes. Yeah. We call it bear trap. Yes. Count yes. Yeah. Bear trap. So the challenge that we face is this, is when we're praying for someone in the midst of their, their concern, God can give us the wisdom of what to say, how to say it, when to say it, or if to say it. Sometimes the greatest thing we can say is nothing. Sometimes the greatest thing we can do is just pray. And I want you to know, as your pastor, there are times when even I struggle with what's the best thing I can do. Because I want to fix, I want to save, I want to repair But that's not what God has for me all the time. Sometimes the Lord just wants me to be still and be available. Sometimes people just need two ears and a closed mouth. That's hard for me. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. But I'm working on it. And so when we pray for other people, it's a powerful thing. It's a transformative thing. It's an important thing. And this would be a, a great place for me to remind us of this. On the table in the foyer, we have these cards, and each one, everyone has one. And what this is, is this is a way for you to pray consistently and persistently for someone, just one person. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for multiple people, but I'm encouraging you to pick one person. Take this card, and it, it detaches here, and you can carry it with you, but you can put your name on it. And back here, it has passages of scripture to help you in your prayer life. And I want to challenge you today as you leave to pick one up. If we run out, there's some more in the drawer. That rhymed and I didn't even mean it to. Uh, But take this with you and, and ask the Lord, Lord, who would you like me to pray for? And do that. And and purpose to pray for them and invest in them. And and maybe you'll have the opportunity as we enter into the holiday season to invite them. We we think about faith and things in the holiday season. So I invite you to do that. It'll be transformative for you, and it just might make a difference in someone else's life. Uh, we can pray. We can do it through prayer. We can do it through faithfulness to the gospel. Listen, how many times have you been in the midst of a trial or a tribulation, and you go, what? If, 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 if Kathy can do it, I can do it. If Ronnie can do it, I can do it. If Jimmy can do it, I can do it. Listen, we set a tone. We set a courage. We set an opportunity Listen, I am who I am today in large part because of the men and the women who come before me. If they can do it, I can do it. 
And so being faithful to the gospel, also being faithful in sharing the gospel. Listen, the way the world changes is Jesus. The way we get better as individuals and as a collective group of people is through the transformative power of Jesus Christ. If we were all 100% focused on being like Jesus, the world would be a different place. If you as a husband or a wife are 100% focused on trying to be like Jesus, your marriage will be different. Your family will be different. If you are an employee and you go to work and you are 100% focused on being like Christ, your workplace will be different. If you're the employer, you will set a tone for the rest of your staff. Being faithful to share the gospel simply and accurately because those two things can change the hearts and the minds of people. He goes on, he says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of the complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. First, Paul is telling us this. He desires unity in heart and unity in love. Now, what those two words mean is this. Unity in heart means at the core of our being. At the core of our being, in, in, in the, very, the very center of who we are, he desires unity. He desires passion and compassion. And in that, we produce a love, and that love is affection, goodwill, and benevolence. If you will stand back and just watch the way a person lives you can get a reasonable reading on what their spiritual thermostat is set on. And he desires for us to have unity in heart and in love. He desires for us to use wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom involves a healthy dose of perspective and the ability to make sound judgment about a subject. Let me tell you where not to look. Washington, D.C., Wisdom can come from a lot of things. Wisdom comes with patience and perspective. I love what St. Augustine said. Patience is the companion of wisdom. You will never become wise without patience, and the more wise you become, the more patient you will become. Hotheads usually don't exercise wisdom and don't necessarily learn it. So patience is that's a hard prescription to fill, isn't it? Because there's only one way you learn it. <laughs> there's only one way. I don't think anyone ever regrets for just taking the time to make a decision. But Lord knows I've made a few that I didn't take any time at all. But patience is the companion of wisdom. So wisdom is perspective and understanding. Knowledge is simply knowing Anyone can become knowledgeable about a subject by reading, research, or memorizing facts. All of us can become knowledgeable. But we all know someone who has plenty of knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. They don't know when, where, how to apply what they know. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Bear trap. You can say the wrong thing at the right time. Bear trap. I mean, so wisdom is vitally important. 
Paul is addressing the what to, or I translate it as the why. Why do you do what you do? We talked about that in part in our Sunday school class this morning. Why do we do what we do? The why is important. The why is what will give you consistency and it'll give you a longevity and it'll give you value. The why. And then the how. How do you do it? How do you do what you're supposed to do? Those two things are very important. Part of the challenge we face every day in our life in almost every way is to answer the question, why? Why do we do this? Why do we not do that? Why do we do this? Why do we come to church? Why do we come to church? Listen, it, it's not that everyone goes to church like they used to. Used to, if you didn't go to church, you were the weird one. Now, when you go to church, you're the weirdo. <clears throat> Why do we give our time, our talent, our treasures? Well, because that's all the pastor wants is your money. The why. <clears throat> why do you love people who can't reciprocate? Why would you do that? Doesn't make sense. The world's relationship is based on what you can do for me in return. You know, I, I, you know it's the, uh, you know, one day maybe you could do me a favor. You know, that's the way the world works. <clears throat> Don't judge me for knowing what that movie is. But the question you and I as believers need to answer is this, is what's our why? Why do we do what we do? And greater than that is why do we not do what we don't do? <clears throat> I love what Coach Holt says. Ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. And attitude determines how well you do it. We have to understand why we do it and that will give us the power and the passion to do it well. I love Coach Holtz. Verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by, fi by fine-sounding arguments. I love that verse right there, by fine-sounding arguments. Paul calls us to keep growing, to continue in the faith and the understanding which they have. We must avoid stunted growth. And so I did some study about stunted growth. And uh, stunted growth, uh, stunting is the impaired growth and development from poor nutrition, repeated infection, or unproductive environmental conditions. Have you ever seen a, a stunted growth, you know, tree or a bush or something like that? Well, let me give you a little something free. So how many of you have ever owned a bonsai tree? Okay. Do you still have it? No? It, it didn't, didn't matter. Okay. We're going to blame the tree. It was sure. poor product. How many of you have seen a bonsai tree and go, I think I might like one of those? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I mean, I have almost bought a thousand bonsai trees. <laughs> Great intention, no productivity. But when we think of a bonsai tree, when you hear bonsai tree, what? You always think of small, right? Because that's what a bonsai tree is, a small. Well, the truth is, is yes, when we think of a bonsai tree, why? Because they can't haul full-size trees out on the side of this highway and try to sell it to you. Here's the truth, is the bonsai tree, the size is determined by the container in which you put it in and the trimmings which you do to it. This bonsai tree is over six feet tall. 
That's, they can't haul those out to the side of the highway. They can't haul those to the little booth at the state fair. But the bonsai tree is determined not because it's small in its design. It's, it's stunted by its container. And we have to avoid being stunted in our growth. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us this. <clears throat> Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that led to death and of faith in God. He says, we need to keep growing. We need to get beyond. If you only had an elementary school education, there's a challenge in that. No one sends their child to elementary school going, well, that's all I really expect them to be. Can I say, we send our kids to school because what? We expect them to graduate. Does anyone send their child to school and go, well, you know, you're not going to make it, but just give it the old try. No, we expect our kids to graduate. Now, sometimes they don't, and that's, that's here nor there, but there's an expectation. When you send your child to kindergarten, you expect them what? To graduate to first grade. I went to our grand girl's kindergarten graduation and parents were out of their minds. I'm like, did you not expect them? <laughs> I mean, you, are you really taken by surprise that they've mastered kindergarten? <laughs> we're going to cap and gown them because we, did, we just didn't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's great. It's beautiful. It's worth celebrating. But we all expected them to do it. Now, high school graduation for me, there was not an expectation. That was celebration worthy. But the Lord calls us to grow beyond the elementary things of faith. Don't allow ourselves to be stunted in our spiritual maturity. He says this, we continue to grow in our faith and our understanding. Growth, is, growth in the truth is the antidote of deception. If you want to know what is not true, you must become familiar with what is true. That's the antidote. There's no way of knowing what everything is that isn't true. You must become extremely familiar or master of what is truth. Has anyone watched a video lately and you go, is that, is that real? AI is changing the game, baby. It's, it's a little scary. Anyway. The Lord's coming or I'm going to him one of the two before AI kills us all. But that's neither neither here nor there. Our adversary works in our immaturities and our insecurities. Our greatest struggle is our immaturity because our adversary works in that. And he works in our insecurities. The adversary fishes in the pond where he knows there is fish. Look what John says. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Truth is what? The antidote? For there is no truth in him. When he lies, speaking of the adversary, Satan and his minions, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The only way to know it's a lie is what? To know what truth is. 
And Paul calls us to continue growing. Verse five, for through, but for though I am absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm in your faith, uh, in fa- your faith in Christ is, spiritual fullness is, spiritual fullness in Christ. So when I was in high school, I took, is it the ASFAB? Is that what it's called? Scott, is that what it's called? ASFAB? Okay. I took it. And that was one of the few tests I actually buenoed. And, uh, you know, recruiters kept coming to, trying to get me to join in. The problem was I didn't necessarily like discipline. I certainly didn't like people telling me what to do, which that is a lot of what military service is. You see, he says, he, he, he compliments on their discipline. The military isn't like Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. Amen? Now, you know, you might get to have it your way. Just, But no, you're going to have it what? However the way they tell you you're going to have it. May I suggest to you that Christianity is the same way to a degree? We have freedom in our faith. We have freedom in Christ, Right? But we also have a responsibility and accountability. There are, three, there are things that I have liberty to do, but I choose not to do them. Why? Because I have a responsibility and an accountability. For who? Well, unto the Lord, unto my bride, unto you, unto my community. You see, it's not just about me. You can have it your way, if all you think about is your way, but that's not the way believers are supposed to think. You see, it's not all about me. I'm a part of it. I'm a benefactor of it, but it's not all about me. And so we have to be very mindful that we are disciplined. Paul says, be disciplined in your faith. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says to be disciplined and to be rooted. This is a dendrology dendrology term. That's the study of trees and such. You like that? You can use that tomorrow when you're at work. Oh yes, I'm thinking about getting into dendrology and you'll go, oh, how smart are you? So Paul uses this word picture for us, and I want to build on that very quickly. This, I'm sorry, let me back up here. The roots determine many factors. First is its health. This is an unhealthy tree. We're all smart. You can see it, right? We don't know exactly when and how and how long this tree was negatively affected, but we can see that it is an unhealthy tree because there's not supposed to be a big hole in the middle of it. This is a dangerous tree. Why? Because this can be blown over. It doesn't have the strength that a healthy tree would have. And what's interesting about this is I think of what Paul is saying is this. Casting crowns used to have, well, they still have. Casting crowns has a song and it says, slow fade. My friends, as believers, we fade from the inside out. As believers, if we're not well-rooted, well-grounded, and growing in the Lord, we can rot from the inside out. On the outside, everything looks good. Everything looks healthy. Everything looks normal. 
everything looks the way it's expected to look. But on the inside, it's a different story. And so it's very important where our roots are and what is being fed to us through our roots. Because if we're not careful, disease can set in and we can rot or we can fail or we can diminish from the inside out. Secondly, it determines the quality of our fruit. A sickly tree can produce fruit, but you don't want to eat it. Look at this piece of fruit. Would you walk out there and go, man, that's ugly as sin, but I think I'll eat it anyway. No. When you go to the grocery store and you're picking out fruit, you are very picky. Are you not? You don't pick up an orange and see that, that brown bruise spot and you go, oh, come on, little fellow, you can come home with me. No, you set that aside. When they're putting new fruit in, they don't put the bad fruit on the bottom. They put it up front in hopes, what? That you don't see it. The roots have direct effect on the fruit. There may not be an absence of fruit, but there'll be an absence of quality of fruit. But there can be an absence of fruit. Number three, the roots can determine the strength of the tree. Now, if you don't know this, God bless you. But there are storms in this life. And if you aren't in a storm, that means you're coming out of a storm or you're headed for one. Amen? Man, y'all are getting real quiet in here. Look at this tree. When you look at this tree alongside the road, you go, man, that's a, look, how, look how old that tree is. Look how big the trunk of that tree is. That tree's been around a while. You know what? That tree is stable. No. It just took the right storm to reveal that the roots only went six inches deep. You would never have expected this tree to fail. But it did. That's why it's important that we continue to grow. Because as we grow spiritually, our roots not only go wider, but they go deeper. So when the storms come, what holds that tree in place is the roots. And this tree just laid over. Because what? The roots couldn't hold on. It didn't have the depth. It didn't have the strength to hold it into place. And you know what happens to this tree now? You don't just set it back up. This tree is going to get carved up and somebody's going to have a nice fire for winter. Number four, it affects its health. It affects the quality of its fruit. It affects its strength. And number four, it affects its longevity. I don't know about you. But I want to be a redwood for Jesus. I want to be that cat that stood long and strong. I want to be the one that when I step into glory, people go, that Jimmy. Now, he wasn't perfect. But that's a Jesus man right there. I want my bride to say it. I want my children to say it. I want my grand girl to understand it. I want my community to say it. How long is long enough to live for Jesus? Well, my life's not going to be long enough. But these trees have stood and grown and withstood the storms and stand there today as a testimony of what 
healthy living can produce. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope that is your core choice. That you want to be a redwood for Jesus. That you want to stand long and strong. No matter how long it is. Listen, some people can live to be 100, but they're not living long and strong for Jesus. I mean, lost people live a long time too. But I want to be that. I want, one, to give glory to God for that. Two, I want to be the benefactor of that. And three, I want to be able to give that to anyone who will look at it. And Paul says, if we can avoid these things, there's a product, there is a, a, a benefit, and it says this, overflowing with thankfulness. So I want you to take a pass-fail test right now. Don't lift your hands. Are you, a thank, are you a thankful person? Are you a half-full person? You know the old adage, glass, half-full, half-empty? Are you a half-full person? Are you thankful? I told this in Sunday school. We went to the fair on Tuesday. It's expensive. It doesn't matter. It's an investment. And we paid. We pull up, and they had two parking options. There was handicapped parking for $20 and premium parking for $40. And I'm thinking, well, uh, you know, we're not handicapped. You know, some may think I am, but, you know, anyway. And I don't need premium because I'm thinking valet. You know, I think, you know, whatever. You know. No. Everything that's not handicapped is premium. So I paid 40 bucks for parking. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Now, 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 because I have grown to be a half glass full guy and more, I was blessed with free tickets to the fair. So yes, I feel like I got scalped for the parking, but I was blessed with free tickets. So I can focus on one and miss the blessing of the other, or I can just be blessed. Just be blessed, man. And yeah. And so the challenge we face is this, is are we a thankful people? I know life is hard. I know life is uncertainty. I know that life's not fair. I get it. Trust me, I eat that sandwich on the regular, whether it's mine or eating someone else's. People share their sandwich with me on the regular. It's okay. A few things real quick. Zig Ziglar, man, I love this guy. <laughs> Boy, Zig will just get straight to it. Zig says this, be grateful for what you have and stop complaining. It bores everybody else, doesn't do you any good, and doesn't solve any problems. <laughs> I read that, I was like, you go, Zig. Okay, yeah, because it's true. I mean, and I can be guilty of it too, right? I don't want to be that guy. Listen, we've all got problems, and I want to share my problems when there's a benefit to it, but I don't want to be the guy that just sits around, you know, walking around the fair all day, 40 bucks! Just punching those, those live animals in the petting zoo in the nose. 40 bucks. Looking at that little bitty miniature goat and screaming into its ears. 40 bucks. I like this. William Ward says this. Feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. You can't come here and you can't sing what we sing and not feel a sense of gratitude. Amen. But do we express that? He says it's like 
buying a gift and wrapping a gift but never giving the gift. Man, I thought, William, you killed that one right there. And I like this one here too. Marcus uh, Tullius, I may be right. So this is a Roman governor who lived about 100 years before Jesus. Says gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but it's the parent of all the others. Hmm. Could it be that our attitude of gratitude can positively drive all the other areas in our lives? I think it can. Because I can promise when I find myself not being grateful, it has its ripple effects and they're not good. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be honest. I'm not saying we have to be that everything's rainbows and unicorns. We could be honest. But the great thing is, is even in the midst of a storm, we have a savior. And even in the midst of a valley, God is with us. And one day, heaven. And then there's this other guy. He says, when we are knowing and growing and going in the name of the Lord, gratitude will be the song in our heart and upon our lips. I want to be grateful. Why? Because I am blessed. I'm blessed. Walking around following my family in the fair was a pretty great moment. We haven't all been to the fair together. We started taking our kids to the fair when they were this big. And then comes along our son-in-law, wonderful addition. But we haven't all been together at the fair in seven years. My grand girl was still being carried by her mommy. In fact, my grand girl was within a couple of weeks of being born. My daughter's hope was she would go into labor at the fair. She envisioned being carted out with corn dogs in each hand. She thought that maybe she could parlay that into lifetime free admission man, she's a hustler but the last time we were all there Mia was still in her mommy's tummy and then you have college and you have COVID and you have blah and blah and blah and blah and so for the first time in seven years I had my family together doing what means something to us and I was so overwhelmed to do it again. And it was Mia's first time. It wasn't her first time at the fair. It was the first time she was old enough to understand it. She was like a year and a half old the last time she went. And to watch her experience the fair for the first time reminded me of what it was like with my kids. And no, I wasn't being morbid. I was being realistic. I was overwhelmed in the fact that we were together again. And I was overwhelmed with the gratitude that if this is the last time, because we don't know. I don't know 
about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. Many things about tomorrow. And I thought to myself, Lord, if this is the last time, it was a great time. And you know what? That 40 bucks doesn't matter a whit to me. Brothers and sisters, we must be, we should be the people of faith, grace, and gratitude. Why? Because Christ knows our name and the cross paid our debt and heaven is our home. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we just thank you for the encouragement of Paul. Father, to be disciplined and well-rooted. And Father, we just thank you for the benefits that come from these types of choices. Lord, we thank you that in those things we can bring you glory. We thank you that in those things, Lord, we are the immediate benefactor. And we thank you, Lord, that in those things, we could influence our world for Jesus. Father, I selfishly want for everyone to have what I have. Lord, I'm not perfect. But Lord, I want them to know you. And I want them to grow in you. And Lord, I want them to have the gratitude that changes every circumstance in our lives. Father, I am the master of my perspective and my gratitude. Father, the world can't take it from me. And Father, I can have gratitude because of Jesus. Father, I pray that we, as your church, as your ambassadors in this world, Lord, will live authentically and in the good times and the bad times and all points in between, Father, seek to find the reason for gratitude. Father, challenge our minds and our hearts to not be stunted by the things of our choice and the choice of others. Father, help us to grow and to know you more each and every day. And in that, our love for you will grow. Our faith in you will grow. And our gratitude for you will grow. Father, we love you. And we thank you so, so much for Jesus. Father, bless us that we in return may be a blessing to our world. Let others see Jesus in us that they too may seek you before it's eternally too late. And Father, we'll give you the glory for it for you and you alone are worthy of it. It's in our Savior's name we ask these things. And all of God's people said, amen.